Wendell's World in Sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right, cool. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on, a lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Today's podcast is going to be just a bit short. Tell you the reason why mainly today I'm going to be talking about the NFL playoffs. I know as I'm recording that recording this podcast that the playoffs are going to be tomorrow. Speaking of the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Texans, then goes with the Tennessee Titans versus the New England Patriots. Then Sunday's games, we have Minnesota versus New Orleans and Seattle versus Philadelphia. So my normal podcast, which takes a lot more time because I want to not just talk about the NFL playoff games, but I also want to talk about the what's been going on in the league. Is Jerry Jones finally going to fire Jason Garrett? Ron Rivera finally made the decision to join the Washington Snyder Skins. Some other things going on in the world of the NFL that I want to get into other than what's going down on the gridiron on Sunday and Saturday. Also want to get into some NBA news, the passing of David Stern. Also want to get into what I'm looking forward to in the NBA going into 2020, what's going to be happening now as we reach the dog days of the of the NBA as they march on to the All-Star break. And there's some other things, my Georgetown Hoyas, of course. All of these things that I want to talk about, college basketball, of course. What I want to talk about, there's some things that I saw during my vacation time in San Diego that I wanted to talk about. There was a situation that I was taking part in in San Diego that I want to expound on and talk about at the end of a podcast. Really doesn't have to do anything with the playing the hit sports that we like to talk about what's going on in the major sports such as the NFL and NBA and such. But there was something that happened to me during my time in San Diego. Kind of gave me a little bit of perspective about what's going on in life where my direction is going on in life and putting things in perspective and some of the things as an adult that we kind of take for granted, some of the things that we kind of flip out about or kind of take more seriously than we should be taking. Some of those things were put into perspective when I was hanging around and doing some things during my five-day hiatus vacation relaxation out in the beautiful city of San Diego. Not as beautiful as my Washington, D.C., Silver Spring metropolitan area where I grew up, of course, as I Told you before, Washington born and Washington bred. And when I die, yes, I'll be Washington dead. But in terms of just having a fantastic time in San Diego and the situation that I was put in and the uh, ability to help out in certain situations and just see life from a different perspective, something that I really hadn't had an opportunity to do because just like you, I go on the everyday. I got a nine to five working hard to make a living and Merkman and some of the things that uh, we might put in terms of the serious category within our lives really shouldn't be put in that category it was kind of centered and balanced out when I had the opportunity to hang around a couple of people and do some things when I was in San Diego. So those are some of the things on my next podcast that I'm going to be hitting on and that I'm going to be talking about. But with the NFL playoffs to be speaking about, I really hadn't had an opportunity because the last podcast I did was on Christmas Day. So since then, I really haven't had an opportunity. And here we are, January 3rd, as I'm recording this in the morning. So I just want to get out there 
and just give you to give you some continuancy on what I'm putting down and <clears throat> giving you my thoughts and opinions <clears throat> very quickly, not on the whole myriad of sports, college football. We can talk about that game between Ohio State and Clemson robbery, but you know what? Clemson deserves to win that football game. And also Oklahoma versus LSU. There should be some type of rule. I always had this. When the Washington Snyder Skins, the professional football team in Washington, play on Monday Night Football, they've been embarrassed so many times. They've been humiliated so many times. They've wasted people's watching, viewing time, so many opportunities that there should be a law placed in the Washington or placed on the um, NFL books that says that until the Washington Snyder skins, dead skins, embarrassing skins, why am I a fan of those clown skins, finally decide that they want to show up on national television and not embarrass themselves and not embarrass those like myself who cheer for that wretched organization until they come around and make that improvement that they should be banned from any type of national televised football game, be it Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night, whatever night that they play where they have the opportunity to be the showcase game, they should be they should be omitted from ever being allowed to show themselves. Well, that's the same thing should be, another law like that should be put in in terms of Oklahoma. After this situation with Oklahoma playing LSU, no more. No more Oklahoma. I'm sorry. Forget it. Put a year or two banned on the Oklahoma Sooners from participating in the NCAA college football playoffs after that humiliating defeat, after that one-sided beatdown that they received from the LSU Tigers and Joe Burrows throwing for like 44 touchdowns in the first half and the team in Oklahoma on defense giving up 275 points in the first quarter. Enough. Enough. Thank you for wasting my time. They should be, give them a two-year hiatus. I don't give a damn if they got the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't give a damn if all of a sudden their defense becomes great. I don't care if all of a sudden Lincoln Riley decides that he does not want to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys and signs a 15-year contract to stay with Oklahoma and says that he ain't going nowhere. I don't care what stipulations. I don't care what qualifies in terms of Oklahoma for the 2020-2021 season. Those boys should not be allowed to be playing in the national championship semifinals uh, in college football, no way, no how, no way. So all of those things, the national championship game between Clemson and LSU, those, those are the things that I want to get into. And in my next podcast, which will, be, which will be coming very, very, very soon, which in the next 72 hours, mark it down, write it down, pencil it in. The next 72 hours, I will be giving you a podcast where I'm just going to be expounding more if I can get over my depression when Georgetown loses tonight against Seton Hall after losing to Providence without Matt McClung. Can I finally go on? Can I make it? Can I live? And all that type of stuff. Oh yeah, I forgot what happened in San Diego. You know what? Georgetown losing a basketball game. No big deal. Even though it is. Wendell World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace speaking today about the NFL football game. So before I get down and talk about what's going to be happening with are defending, you're defending, my defending, he's defending, she's defending, Super Bowl champion New England Patriots being the number three seed, being in the first round, participating in the opening weekend of the postseason for the first first time since 2009. Let me stretch, let me relax, and let me hear some music.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Yes. So speaking about the NFL playoffs starting in about, oh, I'll say 22 hours from now, the defending Super Bowl champions, New England Patriots, are the number three seed trying to make it to their fourth straight Super Bowl. Again, they're going to have to play in the opening weekend of the postseason for the first time since 2009, you realize that the Patriots had never made the Super Bowl while playing in the wild card round. You understand that, right? The last time that they were playing in the wild card round, 2009, they were beat up, they were blitzed, they were humiliated by Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh. I get the Harbaugh's mixed up between Jim and John, the one who can actually coach, um, who coached for Baltimore. 33-14, they beat up on Tom Brady. That was the year that Bill Belichick allowed Steve Sable of NFL Films to do a year-long documentary on those guys. It was very, very interesting. One of the better sports documentaries I've seen concerning the NFL. And um, that was again, that was the year where the Patriots made it into the wild card and then lost at home 33-14 to the Baltimore Ravens. So they're going to have to try to make up for that, do it the hard way. But no team since 2012 has gone to the Super Bowl that played in a wild card game. That was an interesting stat that I looked up and I was like, for real? Seriously? And I looked it up and I was like, yep, sure is. So we have the Patriots coming in with a 12 and four record, two and three in their last five games of the season. The two losses were at home to Houston and Kansas city. And then how about this, man? They lost the regular season finale at Miami 20, 27, 24. What's up with the Miami dolphins in the, New England Patriots here. Is it like the 1970 version of the Cincinnati Bengals always beating the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers? The Pittsburgh Steelers were always winning championships, but for some reason, they always lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. That's the team with Terry Bradshaw for Pittsburgh. Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris and John Stallworth and all those great Hall of Famers. They would win the Super Bowl four times in the decade, but especially in the latter part of the 1970s, they would always lose to the Cincinnati Bengals, which I thought was always hilarious. But we moving now to the latest dynasty, the greatest dynasty possibly in football, in professional football, the New England Patriots. They always seem to lose to the Miami Dolphins. They lost last season. It didn't make a difference because they won the Super Bowl, but they lost the regular season finale to the Dolphins. And the most important thing is, the most amazing thing is that this wasn't a situation where the Patriots were resting their players or they didn't have anything to fight for. They already had their seed locked down. That wasn't the situation at all. And you really know if you follow the New England Patriots that this is not Bill Belichick's MO to begin with. I don't care if, for instance, say, for instance, when the Patriots were going for that undefeated season and they went ahead and they played the New York Giants in the game that they won 35-31. They, they played the entire season. I'm excuse me. They played the entire starters. This wasn't something where Bill Belichick was taking off or talking about, I want to rest players and all those type of things. So even if the bye going into the playoffs was secure for the Patriots, Bill Belichick is still a guy that takes every single game as the most important game of that season. So, this was a surprising, surprising loss to the Miami Dolphins. This was with playing against the the um, New New England Patriots number one squad. So moving into, I, you know what? I've said this all season long, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it. I know if this was any other team, if this was any other coach, if this was any other quarterback, I would say, oh, chinks in the armor. Oh, this is going to be the decline. Oh, watch out now. I like the way Tennessee is playing. They're playing well. Ryan Tannehill, 
player of the offensive player of the month in December, AJ Brown, all of these guys, Derek Henry ran for 211 yards, Mike Vrabel coaching against his old team, Tennessee beat up on New England. It was either last uh, season or the season before. And all of these things, if this was another coach and this was another player for New England at the head coach and quarterback position, I would say upset alert, upset alert. I, 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 I can't go there. Can't do it. Can't do it. Won't do it. I'm still going to ride with uh, New England. I've said it. You, you know me. It doesn't matter. I am going to be, I am determined to be the last guy to realize that the dynasty for the New England Patriots is over or any sense of any sense of slippage. Now, I will say this, going into the next round, if they do get by Tennessee and they go play Kansas City in Kansas City, Kansas City should be the prohibitive favorite. But again, I'm just going to go on history and go on success and just say somehow, some way, Belichick is going to make this more interesting than many people give it credit for. This is on the assumption that they get by the Tennessee Titans. But the boys are going to have to rely on their defense to win. The Patriots defense allowed 14 points a game. That's league low. They allowed 276 yards per game, which was, once again, the lowest in the league. The defense had 38 takeaways. Stephon Gilmore should be considered for defensive player of the year. I mean, he's right up there with T.J. Watt and Aaron Donald and Cameron Jordan and Zadarius Smith and Shaq Barnett. He got lit up on Sunday against Miami and Devontae Parker. I mean, he allowed seven catches for 119 on his ass. But I think that, again, once the playoffs start, I just think that there's somehow, some way, the Patriots are going to find some way to get it done. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any reasons why. You take a look again at how the Patriots are playing. I, I still think, I take a look at that Buffalo game at Gillette Stadium. And they beat the Bills 24-17. And I say to myself, that's the team that's going to show up for the playoffs. The team that found a way to win against an emerging, now it's my time, no it's not, really, no it's not, Buffalo Bills team. The Bills came in, came into this game, we beat the Cowboys, we got Josh Allen, we're turning the corner, blah, blah, blah. And the New England Patriots said, yeah, I don't think so. Hey, I got my James Brown thing going. I forgot to turn my phone off. Are you serious? That's my ringtone. Yeah. Ain't no drag. Papa's got a brand new bag. On the one. On the one. Not on the four, but on the one. See how we go down on the one? Two, one, two, three, four, one. See how that see how that works? Okay, back to the um back to the show. But yeah, I mean <clears throat> speaking about the New England Patriots, yeah, the Buffalo Bills came in, they had just beaten the Dallas Cowboys, they were flying high, they got the young cat and Josh Allen, they got themselves a very good defense and a running game, and Sean McDermott should get consideration for coach of the year, and these guys came in and coming in and seeing a New England team with a 42-year-old quarterback who hasn't been playing like the Tom Brady that we know and love, we see an offense that's, that's, that's sputtering, we see an offense that's inconsistent, we see an offense that is that, that is not performing the way it should be performing, like me and you have watched the Patriots throughout the years, and the Bills came in licking their chops. And uh, New England Patriots said, no, 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 no. We're not ready to give up this ground. No, we're not ready to let you sit at the table. No, we're not ready to relinquish, relinquish the, the uh, throne. And they beat them, and it was a great game. Tom Brady played well. The offense played well. So that's the deal with that, man. So I'm thinking that New England Patriots team is going to come in 
and play their game. And that's the type of team that Tennessee is going to be facing. No, I'm not quite sure that Mike Vrabel also has that same type of type of uh, mentality for the team. And I also think that the Tennessee Titan player, this is not something where he's going to have to go and say, hey, fellas, you know, we are dealing with this team that has won six Super Bowls, who is the team of the 19 of the of the the 2010s or the the decade of the past decade you know they're going to be ready they're going to be rip roaring ready to go i'm quite sure the tennessee titans players the players of importance understand that so this is going to be a great game this is going to be a very interesting game but i think in the end despite some of the defensive lapses that we've seen over the past five games and we've seen with the Patriots defense I mean this is a team that if you have a player which is hot if you have a offensive player which is prolific they can have some good games against the Patriots on all their losses opposing players have had big games against Baltimore Lamar Jackson and the Ravens they ran for 210 yards and scored 30 points I know it was 37 but there was a fumble return for a touchdown Week 13 against Houston, in which the Patriots lost at home. Deshaun Watson completed 18 of 25 passes for 234 yards and three touchdowns. And then against New, um, Kansas City the next week, Patrick Mahomes threw for 283 yards, a touchdown. A very gutty, gritty performance. And against Miami, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for 320 yards and a touchdown going 28 for 41. So the Patriots defense... The totality of the season overall has been very, very good. It's been best of the league. But they went from earlier and later on in the season being otherworldly, from being historically great to all of a sudden being very, very good to to good. And they have shown that, you know what, if you get a player who has the skill, who has the ability, then, you know what, he can do some damage, even if the Patriots are playing on their home turf. So, Moving on from that with the defense, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could doggone be with us on this abbreviated version of Wendell's World in Sports. Got to go tonight, take a look at some half-naked girls and get something to eat. Fighting a cold, too. That's another reason why I haven't been able to uh, really put together the type of podcast that I want. Because in between trying to figure out making some money here and getting 2020 in order and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to attack it, I've also been fighting the sniffles and fighting the cold very few times in my life or very few times throughout the year. I'm actually sick, but when I do get sick, it's like, "Mm, son of a bitch. So moving on now to the New England Patriots offense. How can we describe it here? Underperforming? What else? What else you got for me? We got an underperforming, uh, underwhelming. Yeah, underwhelming is good. Less intimidating than the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick type of offense that we've known and love and throw in there Josh McDaniels. Yeah, I think all of those things can be applied to describing the 2019 New England Patriots offense this season. The Patriots scored on just half of their red zone opportunities. They finished 26 in the NFL in that category, the wide receiver position. This is interesting. Get this now. Julian Edelman. Caught 100 passes. He was targeted 153 times, right? He caught 100 passes for 1,117 yards from T. Brady. If you take a look at the rest of the receiving corps, uh, Philip Dorsett, Jacoby Myers, Mohamed Sanu, Nikhil Harris. If you throw in all of those players, let's not even talk about uh, Josh Gordon. He, um, he was let go. But if you talk about those four main receivers for Tom Brady, they combined for 1,068 yards on 93 catches. Julian Edelman had more passes caught 
for more yards than the rest of the receiving core for New England combined. I'm not going to be talking about the tight ends and talking about the running backs, but we're talking about just from the time, for, just from the wide receivers. Edelman was targeted 153 times. The next receiver targeted was Dorsett. You know how many times he was targeted by uh, by uh, Tom Giselle Brady? 54 times. 99 targeted difference. What? What exactly happened to the wide receivers, man? The Patriots dropped Josh Gordon midway through the season, all right. They cut Antonio Brown shortly after signing him. I wonder if they knew the way the receiving core was going to perform and what was going to happen to Josh Gordon. I wonder if they would have maybe held off just a little bit in cutting Antonio Brown. I'm not saying that they would have. I'm just saying if they knew that they were going to struggle this much from the passing game, I wonder if Tom would have gone to Bill and Robert Kraft or somebody and been like, hey, is it really necessary that we have to cut this guy? I mean, can we work with them? Oh, also, you talk about Antonio Brown working out for the New Orleans Saints and Colin Kaepernick still can't get a job. Yikes. No, but I'm just saying, though, it's like, okay, yeah, some of the things he did were dirty and all this type of stuff, but damn, man. I mean, Dorsett, Myers, Harris, I mean, can't we do something? Is there any way that we could keep Antonio A.B. on the team? So I'm wondering if they knew that the offensive game would be so inept from the wide receiver position that they would have been so quick to cut Antonio Brown, but they dropped Josh Gordon, they cut Antonio Brown, Muhammad Sanu has been a disappointment, and they gave up a second-round pick for that guy, rookie Nikhil Harris, Harry, excuse me, remains to be a work in progress, so now you have a Tom Brady who's 42 years old, man, how about that, how about a situation where, is Tom Brady, at the very least, is this the last time that we're going to see Tom Brady play quarterback for the New England Patriots, 42 years old? He can't hide, he can't bail them out or hide any of their weapons. He can't talk about just give me mediocre receivers or just give me average receivers. And because I'm Tom Brady, I can go ahead and take care of it. I can turn chicken shit into chicken salad, or at least, you know, I, 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 I can turn a Wendell Wallace meal into a Bobby Flay meal. No, he can't, he can't do that. He can't do that anymore. Now they're 42. I mean, he finished the year with decade lows and touchdown passes, 24, which is still pretty good. But still, we're talking about the greatest quarterback, arguably, who played and one of the greatest uh, of his generation. So he had a decade low in touchdown passes, yards per attempt, and touchdown rate. And his 60.8 completion percentage was the lowest since 2013. So... I think I made this statement against Kansas City where it was like, you know, back in the day, and we'll go back in the day in terms of two or three, even four years ago, you give Tom Brady the ball with the 20-yard line and maybe with a minute left to go and he maybe needs a touchdown to win the game or tie the game, it's a pretty decent shot, a really good shot that Tom Brady's going to put that team in position to make a very makeable field goal or put them in position to win the football game. That's just Tom Brady. But now at 42 years old with receivers that he has and the weapons that he has on offense, he, he can't do that anymore. So Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and Miami doing the thing 27-24 with a minute 13 left to go, the Patriots get the ball. That would have been a no-brainer for Tom Brady to, I mean, the hell with the field goal. Let's go ahead and get the touchdown. How many timeouts we got? Two, three. Let's do this. 
Let's do this, man. We got this. Don't worry about the fact that we don't have a Randy Moss anymore, or we don't have a, a super-duper unbelievable wide receiver, or we don't have Rob Gronkowski, we don't have Aaron Rodgers when he's not killing people coming to the uh, Gillette Stadium and catching passes and catching touchdowns. We don't, don't worry about the fact. We can go down and score. The Patriots at Tom Brady with 42, he can't do that anymore. So now the situation where it's like, oh, my goodness, for the first time, I guess, what, in 20 years or some shit like that, that all of a sudden the New England Patriots fans are going to have to come to the realization that overall we just have a pretty good quarterback. We don't have the Tom Brady that we know and love anymore. Oh, shit, what the hell are we going to do now? And we don't have a Julio Jones or we don't have a really great receiver. We don't have those type of guys anymore. What are we going to do now? It's going to be interesting moving forward. If Tom Brady can conjure up 2017, 2016, 2014, one more time, one more drive, one more quarter before, again, the possibility of him moving on somewhere else. He's mentioned many times that he ain't ready to give up on football. He still wants to play football until he's 45, 46 years old. And Tom Brady is the type of person, I don't, I don't know him personally, so I can't go up and say, yeah, me and Tom were talking one night, and he said, well, no, let me tell you something, I'm not the type of guy, you've known me long enough to know, that uh, I'm not the type of guy that's going to uh, bow down and blah, blah, blah. So what I'm saying is from all the things that I've heard him say, I'm going to go on the belief that if you tell Tom Brady that he can't do anything, especially when Brady has stated many times that he can do this, he can do this, he can do this, I don't give a damn if you're Robert Kraft. I don't give a damn if you're Bill Belichick. I don't give a damn if you're the president of the Tom Brady fan club. He's going to just say, you know what, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to be bullheaded. I'm going to be dogmatic, a dogmatic and didactic and trying to get this stuff done. And that's exactly, I believe, what Tom Brady's going to do when it comes to, well, is Tom Brady going to retire after this season? No, I don't think he's going to retire because I think he wants to prove to everybody that he can play football until he's 45, 46, 47 years old and not just hang on and be like Vinny Testaverde was at the end of his career or Warren Moon at the end of his career when he was 44 years old playing for the Seattle Seahawks. I think Tom Brady still wants to prove to everybody that he can be a top 10 quarterback when you're 44, 45, 46, 47 years old. And if that means playing quarterback somewhere else, well then doggone it, that's the way it's going to be. So all of this is to say is that there's just another layer of interest in watching this game in terms of, hey man, is this could this be the end of the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady era, which you talk about the greatest one-two punches or the greatest player coach combination in sports history then you have to be you have to put those two right up there with bill russell and red Auerbach and tim duncan and greg popovich and right up there paul brown and maybe not jim brown but blanton collier came in after a couple of seasons with jim brown and paul brown or Otto graham and paul paul brown they have to go down as one of the greatest coach player duo in sports history so yeah, it'll be interesting to see exactly what's happening. So, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, speaking about what's going down in these playoff games. So, the Patriots are going to win. They're going to have to rely on the running game. New England has, over the final six weeks of the regular season, they've rushed as a team for over 100 yards five times, and they had 94 yards against Kansas City. So, when you talk about those statistics compared to a four-game stretch from late October through mid-November, where... They were rushing for 74 and 79 and 74 and 74 yards per game. The four-man 
running back by committee, Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, James White, Brandon Bolden. Those guys are either one of those guys, and I think it's going to fall to Sony Michelle. I mean, he is the guy for the running attack for New England. He ran for 912 yards. He ran on 247 carries. Burkhead was second on the team with 302 yards and 65 carries. So the reason why I'm saying that to you is the fact that when you talk about the four-man running back committee or the four-man tandem that the New England Patriots has, we're mainly focusing on Sony Michelle. If they're going to get that running game going, Sony Michelle is going to have to be the guy. Now, we all know Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. It kind of goes game by game in terms of who is going to be the future or who's going to be the future running back for that game. But the consensus shows that when we take a look at the carries and we take a look at the yardage ran, that Sony Michelle will get the first opportunity to see what he can do against a pretty decent Tennessee Titans defense. So, yeah, the longest run, let me see here. I'm taking a look. Man, the only thing is, man, you take a look at the longest run of these running backs. It was only 33 yards. So this is going to be a grinded out. They're not going to be in a shootout. I don't think either team is going to, quote, unquote, be in a shootout. But it's a situation where the Patriots on offense are going to have to rely on ball control, are going to have to rely on Tom Brady with the play-action pass, are going to have to rely on Tom Brady being, if we're going to have eight or nine possessions in the game, Brady has to be vintage Brady two or three times out of those seven or out of those six or out of those uh, eight possessions of the game. Brady is going to have to be vintage Brady for at least two of those possessions. The other time we can hand the ball off to Sony Bichel or we can concentrate on some other things. And he doesn't have to be, Brady doesn't have to be 35 for 42 for 385 yards and four touchdowns. I don't think that Tom Brady is going to be coming back through the door for New England this season. Now it's a matter of going forward to minimizing the mistakes, treating Tom Brady not as Tom Brady 2016, 2015, but treat him as a quarterback who's like, you know what, middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. That's what you do with uh, guys who are 42 years old, even if they have a trainer by the name of Alex Guerrero. But yeah, man, that's the, exactly what the Patriots are going to have to do on offense to rely on that running game. And on defense, hey, do something about Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill, whatever. Because Tennessee, man, they are rolling right now. I know that they finished the season 2-4 and four after starting 7-3. and three, But Ryan Tannehill has been a revelation. Offensive player of the year or of the month in the AFC. And the five games in December. Look what he's got going into uh, this contest against... New England. We're talking about a guy who's completed in the month of December now when we're speaking about Ryan Tannehill. 90 of 132 passes, 1,322 yards, 12 touchdowns, and just two interceptions. Yikes! His completion percentage in those games was 68.2%, and his passer rating was 124.6. And Tennessee has gone 7 3 since Tannehill became the starter, and they've averaged 30 points per game. In his 10th start. So damn, damn, damn. He finished with the he finished the regular season with the best passer rating in the NFL. That's what New England's gonna be going up against. That's exact Derrick Henry's a beast, man. He's an absolute beast. He led the NFL with 1,540 yards in 15 games. Again, he ran for 211 yards in the season regular season finale. He had to take some time off before that because he was resting a sore left hamstring, but 
the play-action pass, one of the reasons why Tannehill has been so great is the fact that, you know what, when you do that play-action pass with big, strong, muscular Derrick Henry in terms of running that football, the linebackers come up because they have to respect and honor the run game, and that sets the tables up for Ryan Tannehill to do his thing. And Tannehill, who was an absolute bust in Miami, the only thing that he was really known for was having a really nice-looking uh, girlfriend, has turned the tables and really turned things around. Interesting. I was reading this, taking a look at this, and there was, you know, ESPN was talking about, on ESPN.com, they were talking about the playoff chances going through the 12 teams that are competing for the Super Bowl. And in their analysis, they were talking about, uh, you know, what does this team look like? What are the positives and what are the negatives? And what do they need to do to win the Super Bowl? This is the reason why they're not going to win the Super Bowl. And I can't, then they gave a comparison to past. Super Bowl winners in terms of if you're taking a look at a team like this team back in the day when they won the Super Bowl, that would be a good comparison point to one of these teams that are playing in the playoffs right now. And for the Tennessee Titans, they gave the comparison to the 1980 Oakland Raiders. Very good. It was like very interesting because, you know, that was a pretty apt comparison because Jim Plunkett, for that team, he was a guy that had been beat up when he was with New England, and then he came over from San Francisco, and here was a guy who was talking about Al Davis just said, you know what, just rest, don't worry about it, learn the playbook, just heal up after the beating you've taken for nine or ten years, and he finally got his chance to go into the game when, I believe it was Mark Wilson didn't get the job done. I could be mistaken by that, but I think it's BYU's on Mark Wilson. Didn't get the job done. He came in as the quarterback, and he led the Oakland Raiders to a Super Bowl over the Philadelphia Eagles. And then he did it again a few years later when the Raiders moved to L.A. So it was a very good comparison because that's the same thing with Ryan Tannehill, a guy who was a high first-round draft pick with Miami, was didn't live up to expectations. Some of it was his fault. Some of it was the organization's fault. It was a mutual decision that they needed to move on, went over to Tennessee, playing behind Marcus Mariota, a guy who was groomed to be the face of the franchise by the Titans. He didn't get it done. In comes Ryan Tannehill. And now it looks like Marcus Mariota is going to be looking up, looking for a backup position in the NFL as quarterback for the 2020 season. So, yeah, so you got a strong running game. And Derrick Henry, just like Mark Van Deegan and those boys did with the Oakland Raiders back in the day. So it was a very apt comparison, I thought. And that's exactly moving forward what the – Tennessee Titans are going to have to do. They are going to have to be the ones who are going to have to control the clock. They are going to be the ones who say to themselves, can we put up 24 points against this New England defense? Again, which one of these guys, whether it be Tannehill, whether it be Henry, uh, the rookie rookie wide receiver that's come on and been great so far this season, Brown, I believe it is, is he going to be able to you know, make a play or two, a big play or two? He's been averaging 20 yards per catch. Is he going to be the guy that's going to break the game wide open with a 60 or 50 yard pass play. We'll see. We'll see. The Patriots on defense have given up big plays this season from the passing game uh, in terms of a long pass for a touchdown. So moving forward, we will see what happens. But yeah, I'm not ready just yet. To get, and I don't don't ask me why. Don't don't say, hey, Wendell, what's up, man? Why are you going to be picking New England and Tennessee? Break it down for me. Break it down in terms of stats and cover twos and cover threes and spread offenses and this, that, and the other. The only reason why I'm going to say 
The New England Patriots are going to win this football game is because they have a coach who's a Hall of Famer and one of the best ever who ever did it. And they have a quarterback who's won six Super Bowl championships and still at 42, has the experience to get the job done. So I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know what they're going to do. If I knew that, then doggone it. I'd take all my money, go down to Vegas. I live in Vegas, my bad. I would go down to the casino where I go over to the local casino and place all my money on New England if I knew how they were going to do it. But something in my heart tells me that, you know what? Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the New England Patriots will be advancing after their playoff game on Saturday night. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down and discuss today in the world of sports. Again, this is just my, I need to put a podcast together. I've been away far too long. Again, I went to San Diego and came back and got myself a cold, so I've been under the weather just a little bit. But all of those things, you know, it just makes me, I haven't done anything as far as the podcast is concerned since December 25th, Christmas Day, so I wanted to get out something. Here we go. So I'm recording this on the 3rd of January. I just wanted to get out my thoughts and feelings to you concerning the NFL playoff games, the wild card weekend this Saturday and Sunday. So I was talking about what's going down with the New England Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. So very quickly, because I got to get out of here because I am dying. I am sick and I need to get my juice. Give me the juice. Um, so let's just go ahead and talk Buffalo in Houston. I think Houston, Deshaun Watson, I think they're going to be able, especially at home, they put a lot of chips on the table concerning what they're going to be doing this season with the trade for Laramie Tunzel, who's done a pretty good job. I wish he could stop holding. Seems like every game he's holding or two, but for the most part, Houston has had an up and down season. For every time they go ahead and think that they've gone, you know, every time, every time they've gone ahead and and think to themselves, oh, wow, man, Houston might be for real by beating New England at, uh, on the road or something like that. They go ahead and then they lose to Denver or they get blown out and embarrassed by Baltimore. So there's an up and down, inconsistent team. The defense is somewhat inconsistent. The Bender don't break defense under defensive coordinator Romeo Cornell. But I, I like Houston only because you take a look at the quarterback position, Josh Allen, a revelation, good strides that he made from his rookie year now to his second year, but this still is a guy who I think is inconsistent from the passing game. So I think Houston, with their big play receiving, especially with DeAndre Hopkins, the main target for Deshaun Watson, I think he's going to be able to get some separation on the secondary for the Buffalo Bills. I think he's going to be able to have a big impact. Will Fuller, we don't know how... how um, how he's going to be uh, battling battling injuries. So, but I think the overall brilliance of Deshaun Watson, who I think is a top five MVP candidate, uh, will be able to go ahead and do some things, and Houston will prevail. Moving now to the NFC, New Orleans and Minnesota for their for their clash for their uh, little deal. New Orleans is playing great. They blew the shit out of Carolina in their in their season finale. And, you know, sometimes, and I understand that, hey, you know what, when you have a 40-something-year-old quarterback like Drew Brees and, 
they might have there might be some a lot of great reasons and a lot of great uh, opportunities for them to get even better. But I've always been a proponent of I like just playing week after week. I always think that no matter how great you are, it takes you about a quarter, maybe even a quarter of a quarter and a half for a team that has a buy to go out there and finally get their legs back. Because, you know, this has been a long grind of a season. These teams only have one week off in terms of a one-week break during the season. And you get themselves into a routine. The team gets themselves into a week-by-week routine when they watch film, when do they work out, when do they do all these things, especially with a team that's going to be starting the playoff games on their own home turf. You don't have to worry about traveling. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You're going to be sleeping in your own bed or at least in the bed that you're familiar with because, you know, some of these guys, during the uh, season, maybe they need to get a little something, 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 something different from what they're sleeping with during the week or on the weekend or whatever. So if a fellow is, you know, talking about some good ass, you know, some good ass putang on Thursday, it made them play great, that he might make that a ritual. So when you, when I say sleeping in their own bed, sometimes their own bed might be someone else's bed. But it's still better for them to be sleeping in that bed than their own bed because that the sex and everything that they're getting in that bed makes them perform better when the weekend comes, baby. Stay with me now. Thank you. Jeez, man. This is rated R, superstar. But um, so, yeah, but basically there is a pattern that the NFL players do week for week. And I think with New Orleans, the way that they're playing right now, man, you don't want to stop. I know, yeah, we can get healthy and we can get rested and all those things, man. I think if you're playing the way New Orleans is playing right now, I think you just keep going and you keep going and keep going. So I know that they might have been just a little bit disappointed in when Seattle didn't get across that goal line in that game Sunday night against San Francisco. But I think moving forward is going to be advantageous for New Orleans to keep playing every single week. The Minnesota Vikings, on the other hand, I don't know, man. Kirk Cousins, here we go. Can Kirk Cousins win a big football game? He sure hasn't done it yet, and I understand. Hey, well, it's a team game, and this, that, and the other. He didn't do it when he was with the Washington, that's my team skins. He didn't do it when he was with the Washington Snyder skins. So this is just a pattern here. This is not something where it's, well, you know, team-wise, we didn't this, that, and the other. So I just blend myself together with the team when Kirk Cousins is talking about his failure or his ineptitude to win a big football game. He can't sit there and be like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you sit there and you concentrate on me because I'm the quarterback and I'm supposed to be the leader and I have the ball in my hand most of the time. So I'm more responsible of the outcome of games more than anybody else. But, you know, in all actuality, it's an entire team game. So don't place the blame or the praise squarely on me. It goes to the entire team. That stuff doesn't work, Kurt. I'm sorry. That stuff doesn't work. And... For real, I kind of wish that he would stop that bullshit. I really would. Because it looks like he's shying away from the responsibility. And it, it would be cool and it would be fine if he went out and played really, really well or just pretty good in one of these situations. I mean, maybe those words and maybe those thoughts and feelings might not be as hollow if he went out and performed. But he hasn't played and performed like he should when the teams need him to perform the most, whether it be in Washington or now in his second year with Minnesota. So forget all that. Well, you know, I'm just part of the cog and I'm just part of the engine. No, man, you know what you are? You are the face of the franchise. You are the leader of the squad. You are the person that's making the most money on the team. You were brought here to elevate the Minnesota Vikings to win a Super Bowl, a team in Minnesota that has been to four Super Bowls and have won none of them and hasn't been to a Super Bowl since the 1970s. 
So no, this is your opportunity to write. Again, imagine the adulation. Imagine that everything that comes with being the guy, Kirk, being the guy that's going to lift Minnesota to heights, beating the New Orleans Saints on the road and you having a big game. Not Dalvin Cook, not the defense holding the Drew Brees to X amount of yards and throwing X amount of, no, 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 none of that kind of stuff. It's up to you, Kirk. It's up to you. You are not just part of the team, especially now. The team needs your leadership. The team needs your skill. The team needs October Kirk Cousins. The team needs week seven, week eight, week eight Kirk Cousins, not the one that played against the Green Bay Packers on Monday night a few weeks ago. So with all that being said, I just think that the New Orleans Saints, too talented, too good. I mean, sometimes let's not just sit here and try to break it down to the infinite and to this unbelievable breakdown. Why are the New Orleans Saints going to beat the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, because they're better than them. They have a better quarterback. They have better offensive weapons. And the defense for New Orleans have, has been good, just good. And when you have an offense like that, all you need to be is good, especially when you're playing Minnesota at home in the first round of the playoffs. So I go with that. Windows World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Got to get out of here quickly, man. I tell you, I got, you know, I'm looking here. You know what? What's interesting? I saw this. What, what have I talked about? Oh, look, before I, before I hit that, because there is a college football story that I really quickly want to get to. Sad, sad story. I'll get to that. I'll get to that after I talk about Seattle and Philadelphia. Um, again, Philadelphia doing what they needed to do, beat went ahead and beat uh, the uh, New York Giants. Um, nice unit. I I mentioned before that I mentioned before that the Philadelphia Eagles have had themselves a substandard year, and they really have in terms of their expectations. But when you take a look at the guts and the heart and the coaching acumen to overcome all of these injuries that have happened, the Eagles are playing with a below average wide receiving core is Carson Wentz is still doing work. The offensive line has been a work in progress. It has been a has been patch up the entire season for the most part. And Carson Wentz is still getting the job done. The, the defense isn't great. The defense is not like new England and Carson Wentz is still getting the job done. And especially now Carson Wentz playing the entire season and being there when the team needs him the most. I think Carson Wentz, I think you can say that even more than 2017 before he tore his ACL against the Los Angeles Rams, I think Carson Wentz has had his best season as a pro and elevated himself in terms of being one of the elite franchise quarterbacks. I don't think he's right. I don't think he's there in the top two or three, but this season showed me that, you know what, it's almost inevitable if he can stay relatively healthy, that Wentz is going to be that guy. I remember having a podcast a little while ago and I was talking about moving forward to the 2025, 2026 seasons, which quarterback is going to be that guy? Who's going to be the Tom Brady of the 2027, 28? Who's going to be the number one guy? Who's going to be the face of the league? Who's going to be that superstar? Is it going to be Lamar Jackson? Is it going to be Patrick Mahomes? Is it going to be uh, Dak Prescott? Is it going to be Josh Allen? Is it going to be Baker Mayfield? Is it going to be Sam Darnold? Which one of these quarterbacks is it going to be? I think right now the front runner, even though Lamar has been absolutely outstanding. He's going to win the MVP. He's been the best quarterback. He's been the best player. 
most deserving of that MVP. And while Deshaun Watson has been great and Russell Wilson has been outstanding and all of these quarterbacks, I think that one guy, I think that one guy, five, six, seven years from now, who's going to be reigning supreme, who's going to be the, the guy in the NFL, especially, or at least from the quarterback position, I think it's going to be Carson Wentz again, if he can maintain some level of health that will not uh, prevent him from reaching his potential, both athletically and as a football player, as a quarterback, mastering his craft. But all that being said, I think Seattle is the team that should win this football game. I think that they're the better football team. Russell Wilson has been absolutely outstanding. And we talk about Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson, the two guys that were competing for the MVP this season. I think if you take a look at the true definition of what an MVP is all about, I would say that the MVP was Russell Wilson. I think Lamar Jackson had a better year. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Lamar Jackson had a better year, and I think Lamar Jackson deserves to win that MVP trophy. But from my definition point standpoint of what an MVP is to his team, I think that Russell Wilson is far more valuable than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has a relatively competent backup quarterback in RG3. They have a fantastic system. They have a strong offensive line. They have a great running game. They have offensive weapons from the tight end positions that can move the chains. They have Hollywood Brown who can stretch the field. Now, Lamar Jackson makes all of that go. And this is not this is not a slight on Lamar Jackson. Don't go there with me. No, stop, 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 stop. Don't go there with me with me by you accusing me of saying that Lamar Jackson is overrated or he doesn't deserve the MVP. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. My definition of what an MVP is, which is in terms of who is most important to the team, I think you can take Russell Wilson off that team. I think the Seattle Seahawks go 6-10, and 5-11. And, and I think that they're an absolute train wreck on offense. You take Lamar Jackson off the Baltimore Ravens and put RG3 in there, the Baltimore Ravens damn sure don't go 14-2, and two, but they don't go 6-10 and 10 either. I still think that they're a team that could possibly vie for the playoffs. The MVP, in my definition of what the MVP is, goes so much farther than just who's a better runner, who's a better passer, who has better stats. We're talking about from an organizational standpoint. We're talking about from a coaching standpoint. We're talking about the team surrounding him standpoint. The MVP of a team could not be a better quote-unquote player than a guy on another team. But again, I go back to who is more valuable? Who, if you take off that team, suffers the most? And if you take Lamar Jackson off the Baltimore Ravens and you insert him with RG3, I think the Baltimore Ravens can sustain that a lot better than if you take Russell Wilson off of the Seattle Seahawks to replace him with God know whoever the backup quarterback is. That's the only point that I'm making. You take a look at that offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks. And you just say to yourself, Lamar, excuse me, that um, Russell Wilson has to make more plays, has to do more things, and it has and has more and greater responsibilities from the quarterback position for his team to be successful than Lamar Jackson. That's the only thing that I'm saying. Again, I think that Lamar Jackson deserves to win the MVP, but because of other circumstances surrounding what I think the definition of an MVP is, I think that it was it should be. You know, I, I think it should be a situation where Russell Wilson is right up there. But what does this have to do with the game between 
Seattle and Philadelphia? Well, let me tell you, I think that Philadelphia is very honorable. Great what they did, winning the NFC at 9-7. They have home field advantage, but I think because of Russell Wilson that the Seattle Seahawks are going to win this football game. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm only going to take two breaks. I got two breaks. I only have two chances to play my music. Shit. Man. I want to see how far are we into this. How far are we into this podcast here? I told you I wasn't going to talk long. You know how I, you know how I am, right? You know, I start talking about things and getting into things and doing all this kind of stuff. And before you know it, I look up and it's like, oh, there's 52 minutes left. Woo-hoo! Let me hurry up and get this done. Real quickly, there's a story I saw in uh, concerning a player that was supposed to go to Georgia Tech. Um, the, 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 the Georgia Tech four-star recruit Bryce Galley, that's his name. He died after being hit by a train the week before classes started. Galley was a star wide receiver at Deerfield Beach in Florida. And he was supposed to start classes this upcoming Monday, January 6th. He was hit by a he was hit by a freight train early Monday morning. This is according to the Broward County Sheriff's Office. He was taken to an area hospital where he died. How did they even find his remains if he got hit by a train, by a freight train? Uh, Galley announced his commitment in July, choosing Georgia Tech over Oregon, Penn State, Syracuse, and West Virginia. But he had been struggling with mental health issues as well as the his finance, uh, family's financial problems and homelessness before he was hit by an oncoming train. And according to his mother, one of the things that led him into depression was the fact that he was going to be leaving to go to school. And leaving his family in a situation where at the time they were homeless and his mother was battling mental health problems herself and, you know, financial difficulties and all of those things. So leading up, his mother was talking about these are some of the things that it was like, you know, really, really troubling him. And I'm quite sure it played a huge, huge part in the reason why this young man went ahead and took his own life with such a horrible, brutal way of being hit by a train. Have you ever stood close to a freight train? When I lived in Hayward, California, I was very, very close to a freight train. And from my apartment, you could hear, I mean, ask Chris Ortiz and Mark Lawrence and those guys, and you could, you could hear that train rambling through, man. Uh, freight trains are not to be fucked with in any way, shape, or form. And the, the monstrosity, the just the, the overall power of what a freight train is all about. I cannot imagine standing in front of a freight train that that thing comes barreling down. I can only imagine the pain that that young man must have felt and the guilt that must he have felt to say that I would rather be hit by an oncoming freight train rather than go on another minute, another second of a day. That's just horrible. That's just horrible. Well, the reason for the story is, and I was thinking about this, and I've said to myself, you know, if it was a situation where and look, mental health is, a, is much greater than his family's financial situation or him leaving his family or maybe there was a sense of guilt that all of a sudden he was going to be going to a dorm room and he was going to be getting uh, free meals and going into a, a whole new environment while leaving his family to struggle financially, mentally and all those type of things. I mean, I, but mental health, I mean, I'm quite sure there was other issues that he had to deal with where it was just more than just that. But even though, like I mentioned before, that had to play a huge role. But I was just thinking to myself, you know, we, we sit here and we have to listen to these fucking assholes sometimes talk about 
oh, the glory of having a scholarship or, oh, you know what? He has a scholarship. That's good enough. He's going to college for free. Hey, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Oh my goodness. We can't let these young men be corrupt by having these guys receive money and all of a sudden have these guys start being professionals. Oh no, we can't let them do that. We have to make sure that we preserve the amateurism and make sure that these guys are truly student athletes. When when I hear these outdated, antiquated, thoughts and feelings coming from these old, rich, predominantly white guys who are making fucking millions of dollars off of these kids and off of these quote-unquote student-athletes. I sit, I sit there and I say to myself, this is the perfect situation. I don't know if it would have changed the outcome. Maybe, maybe, again, mental health, we're dealing with mental health. Maybe it was something greater than the things that he was going through, the sense of guilt, the sense of leaving his family, the sense of him abandoning his family and leaving them in a tough situation. But damn, I would like to see what would have happened if we were in a situation where we could have gotten this kid some help by saying, you know what? By you playing football, you're going to have the opportunity to get your family out of the financial condition that they're in. Because you're going to be playing on Saturdays, because you're going to be playing in the ACC, because you're going to be playing in a conference where the conference schools make millions of dollars or make or put some money in their pocket by their ACC network, that you know what, we can give you a little bit of money to where possibly you can not feel abandoned or you can not feel any type of guilt by leaving your family behind. So maybe we can give you some type of stipend. Maybe there's a donor. Maybe there's a backer. Maybe there's a situation to where you can use the likeness of, you know, you can use the fact that you're playing for Georgia Tech. Maybe you can go to an autograph signing. Maybe you can go to a meet and greet. Maybe you can be a part of a commercial. Or maybe you can do something to where we can pay you so you can use that money to get your family out of the financial condition that they were in. Maybe we can do something to where not only we can get your family out of the financial condition that they were in, but maybe if your mom was suffering from some mental health issues, maybe there's an avenue that we could use to maybe we can get your mom a little bit of help to help her out in the issues that she was dealing with. I mean, there's just so many things in terms of we always talk about, well, we don't want these kids to be corrupt and we don't want these kids to be feeling that they're pros and feeling that uh, there needs to be some type of barrier between what a collegiate athlete is all about and what a professional athlete is all about. But sometimes we miss some of the common sense knowledge of what could be beneficial if a student had the opportunity to go ahead and get paid for what they do. You know, instead of fucking um, coaches, and athletic directors, and everybody else making fucking millions of dollars, maybe we could just give a little bit of that money to some of these kids who are out there. And maybe, I shouldn't even say give money. Maybe if there was a situation where we could provide some of these kids with the financial opportunities to help them out, instead of just saying, well, you know, if you go ahead and if a coach buys you a fucking milkshake that you're going to be suspended for a fucking year, Maybe if we could go ahead and give you some type of avenue where you can make some money, maybe something like this, where this poor young man loses his life at the age of 18 or 19, getting hit by a goddamn train. This guy was in so much pain. This guy was in so much guilt that he decided to take his life by getting hit by a fucking train. Well, I think it could have helped. Could have. I'm not saying this would have been a situation where everything would have been great. I'm not saying that at all. But damn, I would have loved to see and tried if, we could have given this young man some financial help. And we could have just a big backer of the Georgia Tech program. Hey, we got a 
we got a four-star recruit coming in who's a wide receiver who's he's had a tough life, man. He's dealing with a lot of uh, things going on right now. His family is homeless. He was homeless. And I think he's having some type of guilt situations about leaving his parents or leaving his family in the financial position that they're in. Is there any way that possibly, you know, maybe you could help him out or maybe this backer or maybe this donor could do something in terms of giving this guy the financial funds that he needs to help out his family or not only just helping out his family, instead of these guys spending millions upon millions of dollars. And look, I understand that the Georgia Tech football program doesn't rank up there with Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma in terms of the backing that they receive from their alumni or backing that they receive from their boosters. I understand that. But I'm quite sure there's got to be something going on in that community within that university that could have said, let's see what we can do to help this guy out. Is there anything financially that we can do? And who knows? Maybe it doesn't help at all. But I'm quite sure that the chances are greater that this young man is living, that this young man is starting to become a man by going to his class and starting to mature and maybe getting the help that he needs to turn around his life. And maybe there could have been a situation where his mom could have gotten the help. And look at the pain that she's going to be in. Look at the pain that the mother and the family members are going to be going through. My God, man, to lose your fucking child that way. Getting hit by a fucking train. Good Lord, I can only imagine the pain that this mother is going to be going through. That these family members are going to be going through. And it's not going to ever go away. For, so you're dealing with a mother who has mental health issues who's homeless, who's struggling, and now she has to deal with this? How the hell is she going to get through this? How the hell is she going to be there for her family? What's How how is this going to happen? For God fucking sake, can someone on that goddamn campus at Georgia Tech, somebody help out this family? Somebody give them, do something for this family? Anything? I remember the coach talking about, well, you know, he did, he's going to be a Georgia, the, the, the young man who took his life. Oh, his name again, his name again, his name again, one more time. Uh, Bryce Gowdy, the coach was like, oh, you know what, he's he's going to be a member of this Yellow Jacket family forever. Really? Well, could you help out, if, if he's going to be a family member, could you help out one of your family? Because after all, the mother and, the, and her children and everything, that's your family too? I mean, when you take on, when you decided to have Bryce Gowdy become part of the Georgia Tech family, Shouldn't that also include the mother and the children? Shouldn't that also include that? So coach or somebody, could you, could you do something for the family? A GoFundMe page? A, something, some charitable effort? Something? Anybody reach out to Calvin Johnson or somebody who's played in the NFL? Somebody who can help out the family member who was in so much pain that he decided to take his own life again by hitting hit, by getting hit by a train? Is there anything that you can do? That's my only thing. That's my only thing. You know, the NCAA, again, I just wish that the NCAA would just go away and goddamn, what would be the big fucking deal if players were allowed to get paid? If it was just, you know what, just the wild, wild west in terms of getting recruits. What would be the problem with that? Why not put the onus? Why not put the responsibility of doing the right thing on the school and the universities and the the admissions director and the admission people and the president and all those things. If a guy is a, if a guy really is 
a guy who shouldn't be going to college, or if there's a guy who might be a great football player, basketball player, wrestler, track and fielder, lacrosse player, whoever it is, if there's a person who you feel that could improve that sport but is a really bad person, shouldn't there be some type of somebody, whether it be the president, the coach, the athletic director, shouldn't there be someone on that campus to say, you know what, maybe no, maybe not. Maybe we should go in a different direction. Do we really need the NCAA to really do that? I mean, can't these places police themselves? I mean, are we that greedy? Are we that short-sighted? Are we, is it all about money? And we fool the idiots by sitting there talking about, no, it's all about the student-athletes and these guys getting education. No, no, it's not about wins and losses. We don't care what happens on the baseball diamond or on the football field or on the wrestling mat or on the or on the green grass. No, 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 not at all, not at all. It's all about the student athlete. You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you even care that when you when people say this stuff that a only someone with a, a, a little bit of common sense knows you're full of shit? Do you even care? And if you don't even say it. Uh, just, never mind. I'm done. I'm done. I got to get out of here. All right. I want to thank you very much for, whoa, boy, I tell you. It's just, when someone loses his life like that, I can only imagine. My God. I mean, I, look, I don't have any children, but I I have a absolutely beautiful, wonderful, fantastic, smart, intelligent, fantastic goddaughter. goddaughter. She's my favorite human being under the age of 49. I love her to death. I just, I just, and, and, and if, Something ever happened to her? I I don't I don't know I don't know if I could continue living. Seriously, I I don't know. I mean, my dad is already gone. My mom, you know, she's eighty five years old. But I've always said, you know what? When my mom goes, if I'm still around, I fear death no more because what do I have? You know, and I'm not trying to sound like solemn or anything like that, but it's just true. It's like you know, when my mom leaves, I ain't got nobody else for real, as far as family members are concerned. So what do I care? You know, if I die tomorrow after my mom dies, you know, hey, if it's, if, if it's my time to, you know, be judged by the Lord, then all right, I'm ready. I'm, I'm cool with it. That's fine. I don't I don't worry about that stuff, whether, whether it happens today or 50 years from now. I'm good with it. So for me, but my God, if something happened to my goddaughter, it would be like, you know what? I, I If I die tomorrow, who cares? Who gives a fuck? You know, I don't. So I can only imagine what this, and this is my, God, my goddaughter. It's not like my, that's not my actual child. So I just can't imagine the pain that I, I just can't, I can't, I could, I cannot deal with it. And someone already with the financial difficulties, being black in this country and dealing with everything that she had to deal with from a financial and mental standpoint, I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't, I don't see how this turns out to be a happy ending. I really don't. I just don't, I just don't, I just don't. And that saddens me, that angers me, that frustrates me, <sighs> you know, and it's just, that's just the way life is though. And just count your blessings that, uh, you know, you're not facing those things. I mean, take a look in the mirror and just say to yourself, man, you know what? You know, any, anything that pisses me off or anything when I'm feeling down or I feel I'm being wronged or my goodness, my life is this, my life is that. Hey, man, shut the fuck up and remember what this poor, poor woman is going through losing or something like that. And, you know, for thousands of others who have lost loved ones, whether it be their children or their parents, because of suicide, it's just horrible, absolutely horrible, and just thank the Lord above that, you know what, 
you're getting a couple of more seconds to breathe and those seconds turn to minutes, turn to hours, turn to days, turn to months, turn to years, turn to decades and so on and so forth, man. Every second that you're alive, thank the Lord, thank the Lord that uh, he's given you the opportunity to uh, to live another day and to face the difficulties that all of us face. So there you go. All right, all right, seriously, I'm out of here. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast, a full podcast of Wendell's World of Sports, college basketball, coaching hires in the NFL, the NBA, all those th- good things are going to be on my next podcast in the next 72 hours. So my name is Wendell Wallace. You have been listening to Wendell's World and Sports. Be good to yourselves. Let's start 2020 off correctly. Music. <laughs>